Hi, everybody. Welcome to the July 12, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DeCiti. Thank you very much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our trip back to 1923 last week. Thanks to everyone who called and emailed in with kind words about the show. We really appreciate it. And we think it was a fitting finale to our Time Machine Adventures. If you missed it, it's on cpt12.org right now, so check it out. I think you'll be impressed. It was a lot of fun to do. Let's get a quick take on the passing of Neil Westergaard, a columnist for the Colorado Politics, former editor of the Denver Post, and former editor-in-chief of the Denver Business Journal. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Uh, Neil had a distinction of working for a lot of different area, uh, of areas of journalism in Colorado, and I think held respect at all those different places. Your thoughts? Well, I saw him in April. He came to um, cover a debate that I was moderating, and it was great talking to him. He was so excited to be writing for Joey's publication. He was really looking forward to you know, digging up some dirt. He was having a great time. So I have to say he went out at the top of his game, but not only a really, really good journalist, but by all accounts, a terrific boss. I mean, he cared for the people who worked for him, and that is all too rare. I, I completely agree, and you saw that with all the different uh, great words people were talking about him. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. It sounds like we not only lost a, a great journalist and a, a leader within a variety of newsrooms, but somebody who had a lot of institutional knowledge of what's going on in Colorado, and as we're growing, that institutional knowledge is really valuable. Um, that's true, but in a way his legacy lives on, because with his career of 40 years in Colorado journalism, he mentored so many people who are now important journalists and editors and staffers, not only in Colorado, but at, in some major newspapers all over the country, like, like New York Newsday. And he was once asked, what, what's the most top rule uh, as a newspaper editor? He said, take care of your people. He was a great mentor and um, real, very old school in a great way that way. Natasha Garner, Articles Editor at 5280. Uh, as a leader yourself in journalism for a long time here in Colorado, uh, seeing somebody like this and the kind of legacy they're leaving and the kind of words you're hearing from folks who had worked with them at a variety of places uh, certainly has to hit home, make a point for you. Yeah, I think that, that legacy, obviously that's what we talk about at moments like this. But for someone like him, I, I you know think back to what happened during the newspaper wars and how Denver was a two-newspaper town. And we spent a lot of time sort of mourning that, that passage and that change. But at the same time, it, we're still a two-newspaper town. We're still a town that cares about news. And people like him have helped establish that, who make it easier for people like me to write the stories that I do. So I appreciate that every day. And right at the panel, Joey Bunch, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. We're grateful to have Ratings Gold Joey on the show today. Uh, Joey, uh, he worked with you as a colleague at Colorado Politics. Uh, you've known him for a long time. The floor is yours. Um, well, I, I hope I don't become overcome with motion. Neil was a very good friend of mine. And, um, you know, he'd been suffering with these heart problems for a couple of months. And as my friends around the table know, I, I had a pretty serious heart attack back in December. So we've been talking a lot lately. And I'm going to miss those conversations. You know, he was, he was one of a kind. And, you know, as much as you can talk about the great journalism, he was just as great a guy. And he had such a warm smile. And his laugh, if you made Neil Westergaard laugh, that was the best thing that you could do all day long. And, you know, Neil, if you're, if you're watching from heaven, because there's nothing else to do on Friday night in heaven, um, I love you, I respect you, and I'll never stop missing you. I have to believe that if uh, hearing Neil Westgard's laughter was uh, enjoyable for people watching, that you made him laugh quite a bit. So uh, I'm sure you can chalk that up as a great success, Joey. It's very well said. 
After failing to get traction at the first Democratic national presidential debate, former Colorado Governor John Hickelooper shook up his staff this week. Hickelooper hired a new campaign manager, Emmy Smith, who previously worked with him on his 2014 gubernatorial re-election campaign. The House cleaning also included Hickelooper's finance director, spokeswoman, and an aide. Uh, Patty, is this uh, a reset button that can recharge the campaign, or is this rearranging the deck chairs? Well, he's hoping it's going to recharge the campaign because otherwise he's still spending a lot of money going to New Hampshire this week. He's been back in Iowa. I think he feels he can do it. It was interesting because right after they left, uh, he basically threw some of those staffers under the bus saying it was their fault. But then he did backpedal on that, said it was myself. I wasn't putting out the right message. So that's good. You know, when we, if you watch the debate, that wasn't the Hickenlooper we know we know and you know we like him when he's unplugged we like him when he makes gaffes at least if he were more casual the hickenlooper we know i think it would play better on the national stage and he might look like he's a little casual but compared to the stiff we saw it would help and i think he's going to try to get back to his roots more with this campaign uh, if you watch eric swalwell's out he was the interrupter in the last thing so at least hickenlooper wasn't doing that but he is not giving up yet you know there's the whole report that people were trying to persuade him to run for senate he is not on that yet he is definitely still going and hoping he will catch fire uh, david being pragmatic about it uh, is Okay, if there is that slim chance that he threads the needle and becomes a nominee, there's that. But if it's going to end, is the end sooner than later? Well, he may not make the next round of debates because you need 130,000 individual donors, and he he doesn't seem to be on on track to get that. But the John McCain campaign as of uh, August 2007 was left for dead. I mean, they they couldn't even afford yard signs in New, New Hampshire. Uh, and he managed to come back and, and win the nomination. So lots is possible, and Hickenlooper's a good retail candidate where you can go one-on-one with people, especially in Iowa where his, one of his relatives was a three-term Republican senator, uh, Burton K. Hickenlooper. So he, he may have a surprise in store. In any case, the people saying that he should drop out and run for Senate are wrong. First of all, as in the next topic, we already have a bunch of strong Democratic Senate candidates. Second, he, he rightly said he, he, he's not interested in that kind of job. He's been an executive his whole life, whether in the restaurant business or as governor, and he likes doing that. That's a different kind of mentality and skill set from being a legislator. And there are already way too many people in Congress who aren't interested in being good, hardworking legislators, but instead just in, in grandstanding uh, and, and thinking it'll get them maybe to, to something else like a done cable TV or, or whatever, but they, they don't pay attention to the job. So good for him for that approach. I will say when your finance director leaves to work for the Beta or Work campaign, <laughs> that that is a bad sign. <laughs> jumping on the Titanic to jump on the main or something yeah, like that. There, you're right. not exactly uh, helping yourself there. Uh, Natasha, what do you think about, I mean, it does feel from the Hickelooper we know, one-on-one, that kind of quirk uh, personality seemingly would work well in Iowa and New Hampshire, but not on not in prime time. Uh, working the, the brewery circuit, as he's been doing, I think would be effective, but there's only so many people who can get to breweries in Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, is there enough there from what we've seen to get him to prove his point with that quirky personality with the people there, uh, or he's going to run out of steam? Well, I certainly wouldn't underestimate him. And I wouldn't, he's, he's the type of person who came from a very known within certain, certain circles and then to become mayor. So this is, this is a stage that actually 
actually, he probably feels fairly comfortable in and might feel more comfortable just being himself. Um, and, and for somebody who, who isn't even tracking in the polls, he sure made a lot of headlines this week. So people are paying attention to his campaign. Um, interestingly, I, I did think after the first debates, you know, those first polls were coming out, CNN had put something out, there was a lot of shifting and sort of numbers back and forth. But if you scroll down in their, their, their poll to the sort of the very, very bottom, there was a question about who people wanted to hear more from. Interestingly, Hickenlooper went down on that. You know who went up? Bennett. And I think that is an interesting point. Joey, is it coming down to only uh, one moderate Colorado should be on the stage and Bennett has taken some of Hickenlooper's shine? Uh, I, don't, I don't think any one of them are going to be in the White House. And, you know, I don't worry about Hickenlooper running out of steam. Well, I'm not worried at all, but the, uh, I think he's going to run out of money is what's going to happen. And money's the lifeblood of the campaign. You know, when that happens, um, you know, then I think that's going to be the beginning of the end. We may be seeing the beginning of the end. You know, an old dog doesn't just fall over dead in the yard. It climbs under the porch for a few days. Hickenlooper's under the porch. So let's see what happens. <laughs> People wonder why I call Joey ratings gold when you say Hickenlooper is under the porch. And you don't get that from anybody else. Thank you, Joey. Good well. Well done. I don't think Hickenlooper's a fan of what you just said, but I am. So that was great. <laughs> a poll released this week showed Secretary of State Gina Griswold in, Jenna Griswold rather, in second place among Democrats seeking to unseat Senator Cory Gardner. Two important details we should be included here. One, the fact that the poll was conducted and partially funded by supporters of Griswold. And two, Griswold has not announced that she would run for U.S. Senate. The poll also revealed that 23% would favor former House Speaker Andrew Romanoff, who was in first place among the candidates. Uh, David, who is this better news for? Andrew Romanoff, who came in first place in kind of this wacky setup poll, or Jenna Griswold, who at the very least would seemingly be considering? We shall have, have to see. Speaking of grandstanders who don't, aren't very good at their current job and then want to go into the Senate to do some more grandstanding, um, there's already two very strong candidates and, and a number of others um, who, who deserve a look in running in the Democratic Senate race. And if Coloradans want an effective senator, they are, obviously they have one with Cory Gardner, but if they want a de- an effective Democratic senator, uh, they already have two gold star candidates, uh, Mike Johnston and Andrew Romanoff both of whom had very successful records in the Colorado legislature of getting things done and of taking the hard work of being a legislator seriously and being very skilled and adept at it. And I don't think it's any wonder that Romanoff is in first place now among voters who have, especially who have some memory. Uh, He became Speaker of the House of Colorado, did a very good job at that from a Democratic point of view, really understood the rules, how, how, how you move bills along. And after he left the legislature, he went to uh, run a mental health a- advocacy organization in Colorado. Uh, so with, with, with Johnston and Romanoff, I think it's hard to see a compelling case for Griswold unless you want, you know, an, an AOC-type character uh, rather than a serious legislator. Uh, Natasha, do we, do we get really any good, solid information for anybody with a poll uh, uh, executed like this? No, 
I don't think so. What's interesting is it's, it, I'm not sure it's an apples-to-apples apples comparison. This feels more like an apples-to-oranges, um, almost a wish list of candidates. But if that's the re- direction they wanted to go, I would have liked to see a few more names put into that mix as well. Like these are possible people who could run. I mean, Chauncey Billups, uh, John Elway, <laughs> yeah. whoever else. I mean, that's kind of what this feels like. If someone hasn't, hasn't actually said they are running, then why were they included with the other candidates? However, I'm not a pollster. I'm sure they have lots of reasons for how they said this up, and I'm sure there is no perfect way to set up a poll. What I do think it ho- and what I hope it does bring attention to is that there is a very large field of candidates that are running for this race, and it's worth getting to know all of them. So if people are looking at this and wondering, well, why did Jenna poll so well? Maybe it's time to start looking into who the rest of the people who are running and getting to know their platforms and seeing who you want or who they want to run in that, that slot. Uh, Joy, I remember when the, the poll came out and then the I saw the graphic actually used the whole page. It wasn't cut off where you can see the actual end of the, the graphic that says, you know, ask more about Jenna. So it, it was, clearly it's kind of like, who do you want to see on CIO? I really like David. Well, what about Joey? Joey's pretty good. Would you, would you like to see Joey if we had Joey on the show? Well, that's gonna, probably going to have more people that are going to vote for Joey. So uh, does, does this do anything for the Senate conversation knowing how the poll was structured? Well, it gets Jenna Griswold in the conversation. But, you know, this race doesn't lack if, – if, if someone thinks that this race needs a qualified woman, this race doesn't lack for that. You know, she would be the eighth woman out of a 12-person field at this point, And we may not be done, as, as Patty often talks about the clown car. This thing may, isn't full yet. You know, Jenna um, is six months into her first elected office, and she may have a bright future, but I don't, I don't think the future is now. Um, you know, serve this term, see how it goes. But then on the other hand, she's the only woman who's been elected statewide. So maybe that gives, uh, you know, gives her more room to run, uh, to, to add more women to this field. You know, there are good candidates in the race already. You know, Dave mentioned a couple. Angela Williams just got in. Uh, Tricia Zornio, who I think is an up-and-comer, is in this race. Alice Madden is in this race. I don't think people are crying out other than Jenna's friends for her to get into this race. And I, I know uh, there are probably a few Republican women who have been elected statewide, so Jenna Griswold joins a, a small cadre of folks. Yeah. is the only Republican woman. You know, it's time that we elect more women in this state. Here, here. Uh, Patty, uh, what do you take from this? What do you think Jenna Griswold takes away from this? Well, she narrowly escapes disgrace of the week because if this weren't a topic, I would make this the disgrace of the week. It wasn't just the way the poll was done, but the way the poll information was released to the media, and some people fell for it, as though this just happened to be a completely legitimate poll. If they wanted to test new names, how about throwing on John Hickenlooper so we at least could figure out what people are talking about when they say they think he could win? It was very disingenuous and as I said, some some people fell for it. The petition to recall Governor Jared Polis was approved by sec- the Secretary of State's office this week. The group seeking to remove him from office can now start seeking the 631,266 required signatures from Colorado voters before September 6th. Uh, Natasha, because I'm kind of a math geek, I did the math on this, it's about 10,000 signatures a day. Not impossible, but I'm thinking of, you know, those, uh, the, the random uh, gifts you get throughout your day on your Twitter feed. I'm thinking it's uh, uh, Jim Carrey from Dumb and Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance. 
yeah, but what do you think? I, it, it would take a lot of work to get this to go through. I think um, I was thinking, you know, in prep for this, back to our beginning of the year show when we were supposed to give predictions for the year. What I should have said was recall, because that has become the word of the year. Whether those efforts are worthwhile or not, I think is something that Colorado really has to look at, and the people who are employing them or trying to employ them should really look at as well. What's interesting, though, is that in this week, where this is big news for Polis, but it's not the biggest news this week. I, I would argue that his fight over the New Mexico Chilies is a bigger headline. I, I would also say that him talking in front of a conservative summit is also a bigger headline. Um, in addition, inviting the U.S. women's national team here, bigger news. <laughs> Uh, I totally agree. I think uh, when I, I saw that press release, he's going to be speaking at the Western Conservative Summit. There are not a lot of events you can go to, whether it's in Colorado or across the nation, where you're going to hear from Jared Polis and Donald Trump Jr. I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, Joey, uh, uh, one of our producers and I were talking before the show, and we were talking about this topic, and they said, okay, the, the actual chance of this happening, and he goes, well, is this kind of like uh, CU football playing Alabama? I go, no, 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 no. This is Manuel High School's ninth grade flag football team playing Alabama. There could technically be a bus wreck and they could win, but it's going to take something that kind of legendary. Is there any shot of success on this? It's tough. You know, I color me a doubter because, you know, besides that, that's, you know, 60, 630 something thousand, that's the bare minimum. They're going to need more like 900,000. And then that's just to get on the ballot. Then after that, they're going to have to raise millions of dollars to try to defeat him. You know, Jared Polis can stroke a check for millions of dollars. Man, it's a tough one. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see this happening. What's happening is they're sending a message, don't overreach. They're sending the same message to some legislators. I just don't think moderate voters in either party are listening, and I don't think unaffiliated voters think Jared Polis has done anything yet that deserves to be recalled. In a year, maybe then. Patty, what do you make of the criticisms that have come out about this is not so much about a recall effort as it is about generating funds that would go to political organizations that could then either spend it on a recall effort or if it falls short could do whatever they want with those funds. Well, it certainly might work that way for the people who are leading it. They're not going to be able to recall Polis. In a much more legitimate poll than the one we were just talking about, he is rate, he's coming out at over 50% popularity, that people are approving of his job. And maybe your best bet for getting signatures would have been at the Western Conservative Summit this morning. But I thought his speech before them was, first of all, smart, that he did it. He made a couple of good jokes that, he, that his staff had thought they'd booked him for the Western Conservation Summit. Uh, he, I think he probably... It maybe he might not have gotten new fans out of that crowd, but I think that's a group that will respect the fact that he was elected and their best shot at getting rid of him is with a new candidate. Mm -hmm. David, I will uh, leave it to you to tell me if I've been off on this one. If I'm missing something, what do you think? It takes millions of dollars typically to get enough signatures to get something on the statewide ballot, and, and the recall threshold is, is even higher. Um, if a all-volunteer group could somehow do that, which no one ever has under conditions this tough, that would indicate such a strong grassroots that a recall election might have a chance of success. They'd, they'd have to have outstanding organization. I, I don't think that exists. Uh, Sherry Pfeiff in uh, Complete Colorado this morning, which is a, a news service affiliated with Independence Institute, does an analysis of the three competing recall groups which are doing a lot of fighting against each other. And so of the three, the one, if, if one were a supporter of this kind of thing, uh, the one that's called Dismiss, is their only object. It's run by Karen Catiline, who is a woman I know and respect. And their only thing is just to 
put their money into paying, printing the signature petitions uh, to get out there so people can do that. But I, I think it's, it's far, far too, too high a hill to climb under almost any circumstances, let alone without uh, you know, Bloomberg money or something like that behind you. Next week, the Denver City Council will add five new members, and they, along with the rest of the council, will discuss the expansion of Pena Boulevard. Approval of the $93.5 million project was postponed this week after transit advocates claimed adding additional lanes to the road would discourage travelers from utilizing the A-train. Uh, Joey, my first thought of reading this story was, uh, I don't think the public needs any help being discouraged from taking the A-train. <laughs> Video of it being stranded in the middle of nowhere is doing just fine. Uh, what do you think about this being put off to the whole, uh, at least five new members of the council next week? Well, you know, this perfectly demonstrates the two Colorados that we live in. You know, one Colorado is frustrated by being stuck in traffic jams. The other Colorado has this vision of the future of how we're going to get around without cars. And until those two worlds get on the same reality, we're all going nowhere. And that's, we're going to see this happen. You know, Governor Polis has no plan to fund tra- for more funding for transportation. But he does have a plan for, for commuter rail up and down the front range, except he doesn't have a plan to pay for it. I can tell you one of the ways that he's going to pay for it, besides rider fees, he's going to take the money out of asphalt. So this is a conversation that's not going to end with the Denver City Council, and we can all think about it sitting in traffic listening to the radio for the next 10 or 20 years. <laughs> here, here. Uh, Patty, it, it feels that DIA is slowly becoming this big topic that we're going to be talking around this table, just like we were in the early 90s, because there were various problems that were hard to get through, that needed a lot of funding, that didn't have any quick solution. Between Pinion Boulevard and the terminal itself, uh, are, are we sensing a growing quagmire down Pinion Boulevard? Well, the, pr- the problem is not so much getting on Pena Boulevard. It's what you reach after you finally get off Pena Boulevard at the airport. And we're seeing the delays in that concourse are going to be si- significant. If you've tried to fly out of there, it's a mess. So you don't need a lot more people coming there because it's almost impossible to get on those trains between the terminal and the concourse. It's interesting that City Council postponed this specific vote when there were so many others they could have postponed for the new council members. Back in April, there was a move to postpone the Denver right, the planning documents, until the new council came in. They refused to do that. Interestingly, they just postponed this one. David, I've seen the efforts from the city where it's harder to drive places like Lodo and Lohi and things, I like still call it North Denver. And I get that, I'm against it, but fine, if that's the way it's going to be a city. To make it harder for people to drive into the, the, one of the nation's busiest airports seems like lunacy to me, but I've been called crazy more than once. What do you think? Well, there, there's a method to the madness. If you have two things that people could eat, say spam or steak, then... And if you are a spam advocate, then you try to get rid of all the steak. And then people, and so transit advocates, as so-called, that's really a euphemism for just authoritarian collectivists. As Joey's saying, they want to destroy the road system so they can force people to do something they would never want to do otherwise, which is ride inferior, low-quality, government-run, no-choice transit. Um, that's why the Colorado roads have been neglected for so long, and it's why they oppose making it possible for people to get to the airport in a convenient way. Natasha, any roadblocks to this expansion being approved next week by the new council? 
Um, well, at the risk of being too middle of the road, pun intended, I don't see why everyone can't win here. I mean, everyone needs to get to the airport. How can we make that happen? And whatever mode of transportation they want to take to get there, let's do that. What's interesting, if you drill into what this is looking at a little bit more, it's not just about cars and it's not just about A-Line. It's also about ride share, which, if you'll remember, wasn't a thing very in, in the very short past. It was not even a thing. So we've seen not only DIA, but other airports across the country have to, and the world have to deal with how, how do we address things like that. I have no doubt that what we're thinking about today and what the council will decide on Monday will change even more so in a year or two because transportation is changing that quickly. So it'll be an interesting first topic for them. Time for a very, very part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. The flap over the geese culling. Yes, they are undocumented geese from Canada, so we could have just rounded them up like we're going to round up ice this weekend, but... There's no question that something had to be done about those geese. The city did. They've finished calling. We don't need to sing peace for geese anymore. But why don't we talk pay attention to the really important things that are going on that no one is talking about, the homelessness, the affordable housing issues, Pena Boulevard. We're talking geese. David. Uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Castro from New York uh, with her racial privilege uh, stunt that Nancy Pelosi can't criticize her and some of her fellow radical communist America-hating uh, fresh persons in the House of Representatives because that would be racist. Now, actually criticizing someone because you disagree with their ideas is is not racist. Now, Pelosi is sort of hoist by her own petard because she, she's made similar criticisms of other people uh, and false allegations of racism uh, per, uh, make it harder to fight genuine racism. Natasha. A few weeks ago, I brought up Trump's sort of on and off again um, tactics. Well, we're back on and looking at raids potentially this, this weekend in Denver, which will be disruptive for um, both families and people, but agencies as well. Joey. Well, the um, people, the 4th of July has been over for a week. It's time to stop shooting fireworks. You're scaring my pets, and I'm afraid you're going to light my Christmas decorations on fire. <laughs> That is something nice about somebody. Patty. Uh, the Association of Alternative News Media, which had its first convention in Boulder almost 50 years ago, is back there again this weekend. What's sad is over the last five decades how many of the daily papers have died that we were alternative to. David. John Andrews, who not only founded the Independence Institute, but after that, among his many accomplishments, was uh, starting the Western Conservative Summit in his role of leading a small think tank at uh, the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Now he's been retired and succeeded by Jeff Hunt, and they've, they've really put this event on the national political map. Yeah, Bill Armstrong said he wanted a CPAC in the West, and he delivered. Natasha. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I haven't been back on since the U.S. Women's National Team won again, proving once again that they were one of the best teams in the history of sports, first and foremost, but also raising a lot of awareness for equal pay. Joey. Well, drafting off Dave, as I usually do, I'd like to say Governor Jared Polis for speaking at the Western Conservation Summit this morning. Uh, you know, he was funny, but he stood his ground and he made some points that I thought took courage to make. So congratulations to Governor Polis. And I want to say something nice about a couple of special guests in our control room this week. My Aunt Lena and Uncle Richard Rotola came down to see the show live this week. They are loyal viewers for uh, probably a couple of reasons a little bit more personal. But it's great to have you both here. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.